This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. I'm going to be chatting to Jeannie Davis and she's the author of The Trust Revolution in Schools, How to Create a High Performance in Collaborative Culture. And if you've been listening in recent weeks, you'll understand this is a really important theme for me in terms of what it is that we can do to set this environment for for children to thrive. And really today, we deep dive into the relationships of the adults in the school. And what we're going to be talking about is basically a comprehensive blueprint for for schools to follow. That is an essential reading for school leaders and thinkers who want to create a rich, healthy environment where collaboration, creativity and excellence in teaching and learning can really flourish. And just a quick reminder about the Executive Function Online Summit. Now, the actual summit itself in a live format finished on August the 23rd, but you can actually buy an all-access pass, which is available until August the 25th at 12pm PST. So if you want to make the most of that and get access to all of the things that have happened over those three days, which is a fabulous event, um, hosted by Seth Perler, who you will have heard was on the show just um, two or three episodes ago. If you go to educationonfire.com, forward slash blog it gives you my affiliate link and you can really make the most of this all access pass which is only $99 which is a saving of $100 as long as you get going before August the 25th at 12pm PST but now this is the trust revolution in schools hello Jeannie Davis thank you very much for being on the education on fire podcast hello Mark thank you so much for having me I'm really excited to be here today now I'm a big advocate of not just talking about the curriculum, about a subject, about education in its sort of traditional sense. I'm much more about the the, the bigger picture in terms of, I believe, it's a child-focused start. It's about everyone who works within the education system and everyone's individual personalities. So when I heard about the trust revolution in schools, I thought, absolutely fantastic because this is that kind of you can't do anything until the environment of what we're working in is really in a great place I think that's when the real magic happens so I'm really excited to talk about exactly what why you put this together and exactly what's involved Yes, absolutely. You totally encapsulate it, Mark. That we, um, within education, pour all of our resources into the children all of the time, which seems logically as it should be. But what we often end up doing is... um, is forgetting about or leaving out the very uh, ecosystem in which those children flourish, the people that are uh, that can enable them, and the system and the environment. And to look at that macro level is is so important. Um, which uh, yeah, led me to start to think really about what is it that drives real excellence within our schools, and um, what do we have to nourish to make sure we have the resources to do that. And so what was your journey to get here? Because I know, you know, you've been in the classroom, you've been a senior leader, you you understand the nuts and bolts of it from the ground. How has that got you to the point of of writing a book and being involved in consultancy and supporting schools in that way? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I started right at the beginning with a degree in international business and um, French, and I worked in lots of different organisations in my in my twenties, um, sort of large and small. And um, I I kept kind of, you know, like when you're you're young and in your twenties, you're not quite um, sure if it's you or if it's the system that you're within. Um, and I got to the point where I thought, I don't think these are my people; these are my tribe, maybe. And I come from a long line of teachers, and I thought, you know what, teachers are great people; they're lovely people. I know them and they were lovely to me at school um, and um, I really want to do something um, that's, that, that felt more meaningful at that time and retrained as a teacher and I got into schools and I loved being in the classroom and I loved the individuals I worked with and then I was really taken aback by actually how toxic some of the cultures were that I was working in, actually how unpleasant it could become at that that level. Um, and I think really it was it was through finding myself in, in environments which just didn't feel didn't feel right again and, and made me feel quite fearful. Um, really led me out of schools and um and I think it was probably a fear-based response I I, I dashed off and got pregnant actually had my twins <laughs> the ultimate fear base um and and when I went back into education I went to go and work for Teach First and that's where I learned about leadership development and coaching um and um and started to um form this language because the people that again I was working with within Teach First had rushed into schools to work there and then rushed out again and weren't in there. They felt passionately about education, but weren't still in there. And every time they spoke and talked about this, it was never about the children. It was always about the other adults in the building that had prompted them to eventually leave schools. Um, and um, as I came towards the end of my time at Teach First, I was asked more and more to go and work within schools um, as a coach and starting to do leadership development. And what I was finding as then I got to sit with people and, and hear their inner lives, the staff and the teachers, was we would have these robust conversations and, and, and really the coaching, you know, seemed to be really driving people to think differently. But then it would come out and it would hit the wall of the culture, the wall of the system, and it could go no further and it was really um that some of the head teachers that I was working with at the time they um they gave me the license really to 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 look at this to to start to look at the culture and say actually how can we shift this how can we enable people to speak to one another how can we enable these conversations how can we enable feedback and uh, people being able to actually hold each other in high regard and and build trust with one another and um, we started to do this work. I say we because it was very much me within these different schools and reacting. And it was when I went to go and do my master's at Warwick in coaching, um, it gave me that opportunity to kind of look at what had happened in schools, the work that I had done and go, ah, oh, that happened organically, but actually this is it. This is the model. This is what we shifted. This is the language we use. This is how we help people actually connect with one another and sit with one another and see one another and know the kind of rules of behavior because we don't talk about those in schools. How are we going to be as a tribe? What are we going to do together? How do we interact? And it was through that, through being able to look back and look at the impact and sit and, and study that, that I thought, this is it. This is it, that, that fear is within our schools. That's what's driving people out. And we need to re-inject trust and 
I think I can see how we can do this. Um, and, uh, and it's the offering up of the model um, and the, the basis for this, which is what the book is about. So take us into into what that model is and some of those conversations which sort of dispels that fear because it seems to me and and I like you've been into many schools when I've been going in doing music workshops and it's very interesting there are some schools that are incredibly efficient um, but there's still a sense of we're efficient but working at 100 miles an hour but we can't stop because we might fall off the edge kind of thing And, (laughs) and, 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 and there are some schools that are just hanging on for dear life because it's just all a little bit too much um and then there's just some schools which sort of fit somewhere where like you say the ethos in the way of, of the atmosphere is just incredibly welcoming which i think is what people what well, certainly what i remember from being um in primary school and certainly schools where you sort of feel like you're sort of there's an envelope around you where um you're being supported as a person and um so my, my feeling is is that because ofsted and the the testing regime and all of that is the most important thing for schools it would seem from the outside because that dictates what grades they get it dictates whether pupils want to come and we you know pupils numbers equals money and and so that there's all of that going on how do you get that sort of that fear factor away and and kind of change the culture from within yeah, absolutely. And this is exactly it. There's no denying that there's huge pressures on schools. And I sort of talk about this as being in the cage that schools are in. You know, you've got government and 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 what they decide is going to happen. You've got Ofsted, the accountability, you've got funding, you've got society and these expectations, the fact that school has become a panacea for all of these things. These are real and legitimate. What's interesting is what is the reaction that happens in a school to these? Is it a fear-based reaction to this or is it a trust-based inability to connect with one another? And I absolutely see understand what you're saying. You know, when you go into schools for the first time and you and I are, are lucky to be able to go in and see with fresh eyes, you can feel it straight away. What do the signs look like? What are they saying? Are they trust-based signs? Could you possibly, it would be nice if you all do this, do that. Is it, how are people dressed? How are people holding themselves? All of these aspects give this sense of it. And often I think it's about whether or not the school is looking at itself and enabling itself to to see itself as whole and connecting or are they looking outside for the answer all the time do they believe that actually they can't do it themselves are they looking it are they are they running in fear now when you're running in fear um you know the evolutionary fear you know running from a bear you're anxiously looking around for the next thing to pick up to grab to cudgel to hide or are you able to be at ease and in trust and think actually no we can look inside we can connect with one another to actually uh, make changes here so it, it, it's the ability and the reaction to these things and the amount of freedom that schools are giving themselves to look at this how caught up are they in the fear of it or how much are they able just to to trust and let go of the control a lot of this is always kind of about the control and and what this actually leads to is the ability of people to connect with one another so how and within the model, I talk about sort of, you know, if you want the outcomes to be collaboration, you know, improved teaching and learning, you know, that, that well-being, you have to have trust. And to have trust, 
there are four preconditions, essentially. The first is the ability to speak openly, to actually be able to talk about what you need to talk about and say those things. The ability to be adults to adult with each other, to hold one another in high regard, not to be looking in this parent-child way at one another. You know, are you able to speak to each other as grown-ups? The ability to see failure as an opportunity to learn, that actually risk-taking um, is, is a great thing. And failure is a great thing because you will learn from something and the ability to give and receive robust and curious feedback, the ability to actually say to one another, you know, I hold you in high regard, um, I, I respect you and therefore I need you to know this and how do we do that? And then really what I say within this model Underneath that sits four catalysts. So the first that relates to speaking openly is something called the ZOOD, the zone of uncomfortable discussion. How much can we be in that zone of uncomfortable discussion without destroying one another? You know, that this is a paradigm. We can say, you know, this is what needs to be said. I need you to know this. I remember sitting on a train once and hearing somebody behind me saying, you know, the thing I like about Barry is um, that you can have a good old conversation with him at work and he can say what needs to be said. And then you get out of the meeting and you can go for a drink and it's all fine and I thought yeah I like Barry as well because <laughs> Barry can be in that zone of uncomfortable discussion you know you can say what needs to be said but it's not going to destroy each other it's this idea of transactional analysis um, you know this idea that you know it's not I'm going to tell you what to do I'm the management I'm the parent I'm in control I'm going to tell you what to do and you're the teacher and you have to listen and just do you know it's something about us being grown-ups and all being accountable and whole within that um, the growth mindset the Carol Dweck work very much bringing that in but to the teachers to the staff how much do you see that failure is not an end point that you can grow and develop and change with that and that's a wonderful thing and then feedback and it's just the biggest thing I find in schools the ability to openly exchange information with one another um, and feel that that again is not going to destroy or wound one another you're actually able to connect and develop through this. And tell me a little bit about what's the reaction that you get when you first maybe start working with a school? Because I'm assuming that you really need to get the the head teacher and the senior leadership team on board in order to, for it to sort of work its way through the rest of the school. But do you get some teachers who are um, a bit resistant or well, I guess they're like you say, if it's fear based and they're out of their comfort zone, it takes a while for that to kind of warm up a little bit. So what was your experiences? Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess um, often when I think you bring in a model or you say these things, um, you can in effect almost be bringing in another thing to make people do. And once people feel like that, they become suspicious. You're going to make me change those things. It's about starting not with the expertise in any way, shape or form. In fact, you know, it's a bit like Socrates said, you know, the wisest person in the room knows that they know the, the least. And that's the approach. When I work with schools, I know nothing about their system. I know nothing about their story. I have understanding of what can happen within schools. And it's about really listening to what's happening. And this is what I say, really, at the beginning of the book, you know, teachers are some of the kindest, most altruistic people on the planet. Yet, somehow unwittingly they create the most toxic cultures and when you sit and listen to schools and people talk about their experiences and, and what's going on each of them come from a good place 
I've not met a psychopath yet. <laughs> I sit with them and I hear the, their good intentions, how they set out with the best of intentions. Yet because of miscommunication, misunderstanding, narratives that they've created about one another from past baggage or current situations, they've stopped connecting with each other. And it's by starting to listen and hear what's going on that I can bring in or can talk a little bit about some of these concepts that might help them actually access one another's thinking. So it's really important this work isn't something that's done to. It's, it's, it's an offering up of these concepts that enable us to say, you know, how do we want to be with each other? And oh, I didn't realise that about you. And to enable vulnerability with one another and, and, and a really deep connection on a sort of a human and a psychological model level, because we talk all the time about children's me mental health or, you know, attachment around children. Um, these, these, these psychological concepts have come into our thinking around children in schools, yet we don't apply them to the teachers. We don't talk about how do we attach with one another? How do we actually access each other? Um, and and so, so that's the work, really. And actually, um, within this question, I guess, that, that's the thing with the, 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 this book, is that... Um, it takes you through from the, the initial concept and the idea that we're in fear and that's what's driving people out of teaching. And we explore that in terms of, you know, the evolution of fear and, and some of the key indicators for fear within schools and then present the model and indeed a blueprint for how you can do it. But it, it's that my biggest fear, I suppose, for this book is that people sort of take it and do the trust revolution kind of for a year and then dash off to something else. Because... This is about deeply sitting and, and being human with each other within schools and connecting within, as opposed to constantly thinking that the answer isn't out there in a model, in a book, in an idea. It's not. It's within us. If we connect with one another in a school, that's where the magic happens. You don't need an expert. You don't need a guru. You don't need another idea. Just sit with each other and you'll find it. I love that. It's a little bit like the idea of just do the work, isn't it? In as much as there are, there are lots of people out there who read book after book after book. And you think because you're reading book after book and you're learning more and more things that you're doing it and it's part of your life. But it's only like you say, when you sit with it, when it's open, when you're actually in the middle of it just being, that it takes on form and it actually changes the environment around you. That's exactly it. And it's a myth. It's an utter myth that we're constantly grasping outside for the answer. Um, we, we're within it. It's messy. Um, and let's embrace that mess. And I think that's really it, that we've become to think in schools because of all of the, I suppose, accountability structures, all of... Um, the authoritarian ways that we work within schools, that it's black and white and there are definite answers. Yet we work in the messiest area. I often say to, to teachers, I talk, use the metaphor of the, we're stone cleaners. You know, at the beginning of a year, we pick up a handful of dirty stones. We spend all the year cleaning them. And at the end, they may gleam. But then for the next year, we pick up the next handful of dirty stones. We are within the mess of all of this to to move and to, to dance within it, I suppose, really. Um, uh, yet if we think that it has to be definite and black and white, then we 
we ignore the liminal, we ignore the grey, and that's where this all is. There is no right and wrong. I know we want there to be, but there isn't. And we only have our ways of seeking the best thing to do in any given situation, the most ethical thing to do by connecting and talking with one another and being with one another and compassionately understanding one another. Um, That's the only way we can move it forward, not by just implementing another key strategy. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And there are two things I just want to pick up. One is the fact that I think you're right. And I think many people, because of probably the demographic of of teachers and and leaders these days, is that all um, the inspections, especially when people I talk to people who have been head teachers many, many years ago, the sense that an inspector came in to help and to support and to guide and to work through things together that atmosphere then is inherently going to be different because that's the way it is whereas you know the current system is obviously much more kind of accountable in terms of your right or wrong or this answer creates this result and and of course when we're talking about children all those things you talked about before in terms of those key areas you know being able to fail to learn from failure you know to trust people to you know to to work all these things out together and to be honest that's what we want and I think it's only it can only be that when all the staff are doing that and that's the the culture of the school that the children will pick up on that and they'll they'll develop it because of the modeling that's going on and I guess maybe that's a key part of like say what a school feels like when you walk into it as opposed to feeling that it's different that's absolutely it and I think I say at one point in the book like you know the idea of Ofsted it's really interesting how it's the humanity within all of this is lost because I know officer inspectors. We all know officer inspectors. I'm sure we've met people within this, and they're, and they're not these huge monolithic beasts of people. But we create these fear ideas of of what it's like, or kind of within that system. And you know, we're we're here once. Well, once within this form, as far as we know, we might as well try and be as epic as possible. Yeah, none of us are here to hang around being mediocre or indeed none of us went into teaching to 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 um, do the best for Ofsted. So do the best for what you can be within your school. Be as epic as you possibly can. And then when Ofsted rock up, they'll just see that, you know, it's a little bit like um, I did yoga and um, it talks about in yoga this idea that. If you go to a yoga class with a specific aim of having this amazing body and like really going for it, you will never, ever get there because you are too directly aiming for it. What it is, is it's about going in and and taking the experience, using the focus, doing the practice in its whole most full way. And the outcome will be maybe an epic body or something else. And it's a bit like, you know, when we're in class, if we if we decide we're going to teach maths in the class and we keep hammering away at maths, regardless of whether or not the children know how to do group work, whether or not they know how to connect with each other, if they can behave, they know when to be quiet, if they support one another as a group we can teach maths all we like but it won't go in we're we're too direct on it we need to step back create the conditions and the culture within that classroom where the children can behave and 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 feel right and then the maths learning comes and it's exactly the same within schools we're too direct we're too on the money with it we need to to be more expansive and know that the outcome will arise I think that's absolutely true and I, I, I've seen fantastic schools and 
fantastic schools with fantastic Ofsted ratings. Um, and you're right, it normally comes because they're not trying to be a fantastic school for Ofsted. They just are. They embrace the arts. They give every child what they need to thrive. They understand what it is to learn. And as a direct result of that, then epic things happen. Like you say, the magic is there. And I think what you said before is absolutely key. They're coming from a, a really growth mindset and a nurturing idea rather than a fear-based. And and so many teachers and, and so many schools, I think understanding that is the key and that is the starting point. And, and I love it when children want to ask questions and they're happy to fail but so often you hear that oh, I can't ask because I'm expected to know or I might get it wrong or I can't and that I can't I can't I can't I think is symptomatic like I say uh, of some of those preconceived ideas that have coming through from members of staff yes absolutely and and this is just it you see so for, for example it's a little bit like um I saw a teacher um a good few years ago now and they uh, had fully bought into um the idea of growth mindset for the children and they had a great classroom going on and you know growth mindset on the walls and talked about it and everything and I'd just gone into the back of the the, the room that that day to to walk in because I was going to introduce myself but they didn't know who I was at that point and you know someone walks into your room as a teacher and usually you know all of those kind of you know fears come up um and um they actually just while i was in there made a um a mistake on the board with a spelling mistake and they kind of slightly went to pieces at that point um and i thought and actually we talked about this afterwards and it was a brilliant conversation um because it was this idea that i know you see the growth mindset for the children i know you buy into this but what's your growth mindset about yourself because when you failed as it were in that minute to to do that on the board in that way it led to you to a fear-based response and I suppose what what I'm saying is that if, if we can't embody these things we can't just shove it on the children um, because and, and actually it's a lot easier for the children in some ways because we've got years of baggage to unpick with aspects of this and very much with this work you, you can start to think oh it's overwhelming in the sense that you know this work isn't about unpicking everybody's baggage but it is acknowledging it's there you know like this idea of being professional is it's interesting what does professional mean and indeed the teaching standards there's one standard it says be professional what does that mean like to be professional I don't know as a clown is different to a fireman it's different to in KPMG is different to a teacher you know it's professional in a primary school to to walk down a corridor singing that wouldn't do any good in PwC. So what does professional actually mean? And where do they, where does the crossover come in? And we're human, we're the same in any given situation. We have the same fear responses, the same trust responses. And it's about acknowledging that with one another. And 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 I think that the fear sometimes comes within this. And I, and, and I hear this from head teachers that I work with sometimes when they start to step into this work is that, oh, gosh, if we allow people to talk openly about any aspects um, or, or how they feel, we might start to get this gushing torrent of stuff and um, from home or, you know, they won't know where the boundaries are or we'll, we'll get excuses. But that does not happen because what it does is it just is it, it's like a release and a relief to acknowledge um, how I feel inside and how do you feel inside rather than constantly putting on this game face of I know what I'm doing. I'm absolutely sorted. I'm perfect. There is nothing more repellent than perfection it's terrifying when you come up next to it it's really invulnerable it's about allowing ourselves those conversations and to say you know um 
when that happened, this is how I felt. And um, I, I just like to talk to you about that um, because that's we emotions are our alarm bells. And that's what we understand about one another. We don't stay all the time in that emotion, but we can at least acknowledge it and talk about it because otherwise there's a massive elephant in the room all the time and we're just denying it's there. And that just leads to frustration. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely brilliant because and, and I think I, I don't want to talk too much about the, the current COVID situation, but it, it it just reminds me the sense of we've been through a global pandemic the world doesn't look like it's looked before and um, and children are in the heart of that you know with homeschooling and some children being back in school and some not and, and and all of the connotations that we know about but what's really really making my skin crawl at the moment is the sense that we need to catch up it needs to be normal it needs to go back it needs to be surely the starting point is just it is what it is. Let's see where we are. Let's talk about it. How's it affected us? What's the growth thing that we can do? You know, what is it that we're fearing? How can we move forward? How can we adapt? How can we just be? And then you think, oh, yeah, wow, this is an incredible situation. And it's unlike anything anybody's really experienced before. And let's see where we go from here. And that feels like we can now do anything moving forward. But the kind of the shoehorning back into where we were six months ago just doesn't even remotely seem to work for me in a thought process, let alone practically. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. And what it is, is it's working again on the projected fears, the catastrophe of what's going to happen at some given point in the future. You know, the teachers that I'm talking to at the moment where the children come back into school, actually, there's amazing stuff happening there. You know, the children have a very different relationship as they see it to school. You know, Some of them are coming back hugely much more independent. There's big shifts in learning that have happened within the time that we didn't have to make happen it's this myth that actually it's only by us controlling stuff in schools does anything happen that's that's nonsense it's a whole ecosystem where things happen just concurrently and of their own volition just by us being together and i completely agree with you and what i've really noticed in this time is that the response by some schools and some academy train chains during this time is that it's chaos so let's control it even more let's get even more control in there let's do more no let's allow this to unfold and we will hold it and we will in the moment as it arises we will deal with it as we always do because we're experts we know what is needed in that given moment and it is it's 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 this anxiety and when anxiety is there that's when people start to control stuff because it's it, it gives you the illusion that then you you know what's going to happen next none of us know what's going to happen next ever absolutely yeah and, and it really is that sense isn't it that when you're okay with that then you kind of understand and i am um, i've been part of um uh, a team in a hospice and and one of the things that really struck me and i think one of the big turning points in my life was the fact that once you understand that you are going to die and you are everybody will go through that process but you were also born and like you were saying earlier you know you're only here having your one epic life as we know it at the moment and when you realize that that's just how it is you can then show up in a way that says and I want to do it like this and that's a completely transformative way and I think just that essence of of being able to do that and and it basically putting a coat on with that especially when children are involved that's really exciting it is and and you know what the almost the most hilarious thing about all of this really um 
is that all the most bizarre thing about all of this is if you actually look at the teaching system at the moment, the education system, people are leaving in their droves. They, we don't have enough people here. It's also incredibly difficult, more difficult than almost any other sector that I know to get rid of people, as it were, you know, and therefore within that becomes unbelievable personal freedom. What is it that we are actually frightened about within our actions? What is it that we are actually fearful of? Because we have so much freedom here. These are the cages. We've got to look between the bars of what we actually are able to do because the big stick really isn't there in the same way that people feel. Like, I understand there's accountability. I understand that people kind of have that sense. But actually, when you let that go, when you think, what is it that's actually making me frightened? So it's a little bit like when I talk in, in the coaching, it's almost like people are carrying around this fear of homelessness. So it's like I do something wrong and someone will find out and then I'll get told off and, oh, gosh, will it lead to competency? And, oh, my God, I could lose my job and then I can't pay my rent or my mortgage and then I'm homeless. And it's like we get to that point really quickly. That just doesn't happen. It's not a narrative within uh, the education. Yet we, we hold ourselves rigid with the fear that something terrible is going to happen. It's not. We actually can dictate how we move forward with our, in our own actions. And we've got that freedom, that freedom more than actually, I would say, many other sectors. I think that's really true. And I think the key thing for me to take away there is the fact that all of that is just mind speak. It's all narrative. It's all just a running amount of stuff that's running through our brain. And I think sometimes we get a little bit trapped in the fact that we need to work out what all that narrative means rather than just understanding that it is just narrative. It's our mind doing our stuff. And when you can sort of separate that out to who we are, you know, we know that's not the case in reality. You know, we can talk about the way the brain works and the fact that it goes all the way back to, like you say, being frightened that a bear's coming and we need to survive. It, you know, once we understand the slightly bigger picture of all of that, then I think that then gives us the comfort that we need but it's very hard to do that when you're surrounded by like you say all the accountability and and the, the some of the toxic culture that happens sometimes day in day out to have that sense of who you are and then to show up in a way that you want to but I, that that's what i love about these conversations is the fact that it's amazing when a whole school can do that because it just gives that environment for everybody to really thrive and like you say the magic to happen but you can also take that personal responsibility to do it yourself and the impact you then have on the children in your class and the people that are around you and the other members of staff in the way you're showing up feeds out as well so it's a bit of a two-way street I think. It's completely that absolutely and I talk in the book at the end talk about you know um, what what sort of leader do you need to be? And I mean that as in any aspect, wherever you sit within a school, what you represent, because you are the culture. You know, we talk about the culture as if it's something outside of us. No, we are the culture. If the culture is people don't um, collaborate, well, then go and sit with another team and, and have lunch. You know, these small actions that we, we can take, it's first of all understanding it, but that each individual actions. What we represent is massive. You know, you know those people. We know those people that we sit next to and just feel a bit darker and just feel more negative around. We also know those people that we feel safer with, that we just, you know, feel better having been around you know what what are you what, what does that give out 
and 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 it is symbiotic in the sense that the ideal for any school is you you get a head teacher that comes in or a senior leadership team that sees it like this and is able to create that ease within. That doesn't happen a huge amount, um, but we can do it the other way by bringing these concepts into a school, these ideas into a school. It can become symbiotic in the way everybody behaves around control. And the thing I love the most about having created this podcast is that we can have this conversation <laughs> and whoever you are that's listening whatever your relationship with the school you've you've heard all this conversation you understand it a bit more you can think yes this is this is what it's all about for me and you can take that as a concept back into your school but because of people like Jeannie who've actually written a book and actually you can then read about it you can show people you can share it like say I think we have so much more power now in terms of changing those cultures than I think we ever did before yeah, absolutely. We do. And this is it. And this is my biggest hope for this, but it gives language to this. This is something that people don't talk about, don't have a language for. So you could start to say to one another about it and you can share it and you can move. It's, it's called the trust revolution because this is the revolution that needs to happen. This is a conscious shift, essentially, to make us all braver and bigger and wiser and 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 just to be able to be as we want to be let's not live in fear it's not a life to live in fear it shrivels us let's let's lean into trust because we can create that ourselves and we can create the revolution in our schools and what advice would you give your younger self now having having been in the school like say having had that other work experience having been involved in in creating this book and actually seeing that bigger picture and wanting to get it across what if you could sort of put it down to a nutshell what what advice would you give to that person who's maybe just sort of getting involved in the profession or, or thinking about what sort of career they want to have it would be let it unfold um and it would be let it unfold that essentially i spent a lot of time when i was younger sort of thinking that I had to create and control it, that I would drop the ball and then I'd miss the opportunity that that would happen for me. That, and, and through that, I think I did genuinely miss things because I was looking down too much at my plan, at what I wanted. And actually, it's to, to know that I, that I am not in control of it all, that I don't have to make things happen, that other people think independently of me that connect to their energies independently of me and that what I am and can be just represents with others so to to just let things happen and enable that and be within the moment to deal with it that you don't have to be eight steps ahead with a 10-point plan that as you meet things in the moment you will be able to deal with it and um, that's where the magic happens um yeah and I think I've thought about this I thought why didn't I know this when I was younger I'd have been all powerful <laughs> uh, but that's that's life that's the journey isn't it that's where we get to it absolutely is and, and and I've said this so many times on the show is the fact that I know that when I was young would I have heard it would I have listened would I have taken it on board yeah but I, I think that I think that's also not a reason not to talk about it that's the other thing you know because I think being aware of it is really really key and I love the I love that whole idea of things and 
um, evolving and and not trying to push things because I know so many things in my career have happened that I couldn't have even imagined you know they just come left field but I was always at that time just doing what I loved yes I was still working you know as a musician I'm still practicing many hours a day and doing the things I needed to do to show up and be the sorts of person the sort of person I wanted to be but the actual nitty gritty of how things developed I had no control over and that I think like you say just being able to let go and allow it to happen and have that trust that it will be okay because that's the way the world works uh, um, I think gives you so much so much more enjoyment of what's going on and it takes that fear away and I think and that sort of takes us almost full circle really in terms of when you've got that inner belief that that's the way things are going to happen because you've allowed it to happen then life suddenly feels an awful lot lighter absolutely and and i suppose to bring it back to as you said you know the current situation with coronavirus it's the, this idea that life isn't linear we don't put that block in and that block in and that block in and then suddenly it happens things happen in massive shifts suddenly out of nowhere the opportunity arises something arises and it's to think about that in, for this time as well that just because we're predicting certain things are going to happen that has it's like a thought that has no bearing whatsoever it's like getting in the car and switching on your sat nav and seeing it saying 11 o'clock you get there well you'll get in the car there'll be a traffic jam or you'll take a diversion or something else will happen and it'll be 12 30 that you'll get there and it's whether or not you keep getting stressed about it not being 11 or you just allow it to be 12 30 you know we have to yeah let go and I, I would sing the Frozen song now if I could, but I won't inflict <laughs> that upon you right now. <laughs> that's, it's very apt because I know that Frozen 2 is just about to hit Disney, I think, this weekend. And so that's what I've been hearing in my house as well. <laughs> so it's, that, 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 thinking about things just happening, that's that's definitely, Frozen has been on my mind, I have to say. <laughs> um, so just as we start to round up, Tell us, is there a resource that's had a really big impact on your life and why was that? And that could be a, a song or a film or a book or a podcast, anything. But is there something which really you can identify with that you think, yeah, that's really had a big impact? I think, honestly, it, it, in recent years, it's been a book by um, Hans Rosling called Factfulness. I don't know if you're aware of it, but no. um, he's a statistician. He died in uh, 2014, I think it was now. Um, and he... Um, he talks about the, the power, really, of a rational thought and um, about this idea that um, the world is getting better. It's a better place than it ever has been. Yet we constantly have this sense that it's getting worse. It's like an inbuilt negativity bias and how we irrationally look at any given situation. But uh, if you can actually get down to, say, the data of it or the the basis of it, how you can really get the full picture of something. And this had a huge impact on me and my thinking in terms of, um, uh, you know, the book. I do talk about, actually, I reference Hans Rosling in the book, how we can end up making really, really flawed and bad decisions if we don't actually look at what's happening. Um, we just take a sense of it. And I think it links as well to some another book, which is called The Power of Now. And it's about this idea of how we stay present in what actually is, rather than allowing our kind of thoughts and feelings to take over. So it's how we bring some of that rationality um, to enable us to really be present and see what needs to happen. 
Yeah, I I love all of that and think it's so important. And I think in a nutshell, it brings everything into the fact that it's about who we are, how we connect, who we are as people. And then education, learning, being around children, being around colleagues is an extension of all of that. And I think it's only when you know yourself and allow all of that to be the case that that all of that just becomes a wonderful experience. So oh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much indeed for, for being here. Just just leave us with with the book again, where people can find it and, and, and where they can connect with you. Yeah, so it's The Trust Revolution in Schools. You can get it on Amazon. It's out from the 17th of July. You can pre-order it at the moment. It's on Amazon. It's on Waterstones. It's on Routledge as well. Um, and um, I think, yeah, and indeed with Routledge, if you put in BSM20, you can get 20% off. There you go. I give you that today as the gift. Um, and um, you can connect with me. I'm at geniedavis.co.uk or indeed I'm on Twitter at Jeannie Deans um, or you can find me at LinkedIn, Jeannie Davis. Um, but yes, the, the more I can hear from people and talk to people about this, um, it's wonderful. And indeed, I would just say as well that um, I've been working and thinking about how we can directly move this sort of energy into schools. And there's a project I'm working on at the moment um, to pilot this in schools called School Genie, the idea of identifying, and genie as in genie of the lamp, not my name, okay. identifying the genie in the school, the person who can be the change agent and lead trust and upskilling them in these liminal skills to enable that. So I think if you're interested and have listened to this and would like something of this in, in your school in particular, um, look at schoolgenie.co.uk. Fantastic. Thank you so much for such an inspiring conversation. And I wish you all the best with the book. And I hope everyone goes out and, and just makes the most of this opportunity because we hear a lot about these conversations about what could happen. And I'm loving these conversations, which are really showing us and enabling us to make it happen by understanding. And I think that's the real the real gift of what we've been able to share. So uh, Jeannie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Mark. I've absolutely loved every minute of it. I'd like to thank the National Association for Primary Education for their continued support and sponsorship of this show. NAEP are currently supporting teachers by producing fortnightly videos which cover themes like art, school trips and literacy. Also they are giving away e-copies of their professionally produced journal Primary First. To find out more about the association please go to nape.org.uk. That's nape.org.uk. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.